Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. Wade and Mike are here in our studio and we have a special guest, uh, Dr. Paul Leninger. Um, this is maybe the third or fourth time he's been on. We've, we've brought him on Christmas time to talk incarnation um, a couple different times. Um, he's thought about that stuff probably more than more than Wade and I. We still got to do something on the Middle Ages at some yep. point. Yep, we can do it, and maybe one day we'll get brave enough. Like the day before you retire, we'll talk yeah, about unfortunately, Eastern. Unfortunately, I'm not middle-aged yeah. anymore, yeah. but I still like the Middle Ages. We'll, we'll talk mm. about Eastern Orthodoxy like on your way out, like your last. <laughs> we'll get <laughs> on, you in trouble. On my way east? Is <laughs> yeah, there no, you go. Not, that, that better not be. <laughs> um, but uh, Wade and I wanted to talk, well, I wanted to talk about this yes, author. Colin, I don't know anything about it. So Colin I'm Woodard, and I gave uh, a small chapter for Wade to read. He did not do it. Um, <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> Dr. Laniger has read at least one of the books of, of Woodard that we're going to discuss today, and he happened to be in the hallway, and I said, this would be better if he was here. And so we've invited uh, Dr. Laniger to talk. To be fair, you gave me the readings, and then I had my heavy teaching day and chapel. So, well, it was like three days ago, though. Two days ago. It was like 20 pages. Yeah, but I had work to prepare. Okay. All right. So we will... By know, the way, you're not going to mention how I'm dressed up today. You look very nice and you had I chapel. And you did very good in chapel today. You had some 119, not an easy one. You did a very good job. Thank you. Thank you. So I feel bad. We could have had a three-collar We could have had a three-collar today. I know. I, today. When I went, uh, got into Aspire Day, I was looking in to see if you had yours on. I was going <laughs> to... Well, you know I'm always there. So you're Mr. Reliable when it comes to the college. Yeah, I literally have six and I have them lined Not up. Not six collars. You mean no. six shirts, right? Well, I probably have six collars too, but six shirts and pants lined up and I go, what day is it today? Oh, it's Wednesday. Yeah. It's the, it's the third one from the left. I just have one collar. Yeah. I but I have, I have met multiple clergy shirts. You know, I keep the collar. So I have one in the car and one in, because I will forget them when I go places. Uh. And in fact, when I was in I Texas nervous about that. speaking, I forgot mine and had to go buy a white shirt to wear under my sweater so I didn't look like a complete moron. Uh, Paul, so, you go with the tabs. How many tabs do you have? I was going to say, they don't, your audience doesn't know that we're not in collar fellowship. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I wear the tab and they wear, wear the dog collars. That's and, right. So this might be a stupid question because I've never done the tab. Does each shirt come with its own tab when you order it or do you just have one tab that you put in different shirts? When you order it, each one comes with one. Okay, so At you've got multiple one. tabs. Yeah, there you go. Okay. All right. Colin Woodard. Um, I <laughs> forgot to think about his, his bio. I, he's, I, I want to say he's from Maine, but anyway, um, political, sort of sociological with politics in the background kind of writer. And the book that I first read of his, and I know that Dr. Landergar has read, is American Nations, A History of the Eleven Rival Regional Cultures of North America. And I just got finished with uh, his book, American Character. A History of the Epic Struggle Between Individual Liberty and the Common Good. And uh, just finished that on a flight uh, last week. And I thought it'd be interesting to talk about primarily his first book, but we may bleed into his second book as well. Where were you flying, Mike? I was in Houston. Yeah, but, well, I was going to unpack what you did. So you flew to Houston. You said you were in Texas. So what were you doing in in Houston? And so I was speaking at the the Wisconsin Synod's... um, South Central Conference, which is Louisiana, Texas, and Oklahoma, they had. It's called the Grow Conference. They have pastors, teachers, and some laity there, and did some stuff on worship. 
and then uh, some stuff on apologetics, and it was a lot of fun. You did both your your things then, huh? Well, I got more than two things. I got like four. No, but I mean, your main that's your main presentation. Yeah, I suppose. So, um, you know, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I had uh, spent my vicar year <coughs> just north of Houston and in Houston. I was at two churches, and so got to see uh, old stomping grounds. Did you say hello to classmates for me? We have a few. I did. Woodlands now has two classmates of mine, right? Yep. Schultz That's and right. So both of them. So it was a good time, and I'm happy to be back, though. Um, as much as Texas is a fine state, Houston's not the best part of Texas. You were in the deep south part of Texas. I was in the deep south part of Texas. What's the best Texas. part, then? Oh, I, San Antonio. San Antonio. Oh, really? I've only oh, been yeah. to Dallas and Houston. Nice. I thought you might say Austin. I've never been to Austin. I'm, I, it, I, I don't know much about Austin. Is that in the hill country? It would be a little bit northeast okay. of the hill country. Is that right? I should. I'm not sure. I've only done Dallas and Houston, and they were quick. So yeah. So anyway, we are going to talk about Colin Woodard. Before we get uh, a little bit further, I'm going to read our disclaimer. <coughs> this show doesn't speak for our churches, our church bodies, or our employers. To be honest, much of the time, it probably doesn't speak for us. We'll be thinking out loud a lot. So approach what you hear with a healthy skepticism, because well, as a responsible resident of planet Earth, that's probably what you should generally do with almost everything. If you find yourself getting too worked up, tune out, look around, and realize you were just listening to a podcast. That's right, a podcast. So go live free, friends, and don't let us get in the way. And that brings us to our free-for-all, and we thought it might be fun uh, to talk in our free-for-all. We're not, we're not talking who we want to win um, or uh, who we're supporting. My, uh, my guy on the, the Democrat side already is out now, unfortunately, but I think the he put Yang up a good Yang fight. The has broken up. Um, not that he was necessarily my, my final pick, but who was pulling a four on that side. Um, and I don't think there's really any question of the I, – I, I mean – I think a lot, a lot of states aren't even doing Republican primaries. I think there's four or five states that aren't even running primaries. So it's probably given on that side. But so what we figured we would talk about is what our predictions are. It's kind of like sports predictions. Yeah, we're not, we're not saying we are fans of anybody. Right. So um, when it gets to uh, voting time, who will be the Democratic nominee? Looking at what we're looking at now, who will be the Republican nominee? Which is probably easier, um, barring you know you never know what happens. And uh, will there be a viable third-party candidate or party? And if so, who by viable, I would, I'd say maybe getting at least 10% of the vote. Like, at least Nader, not Ross Perot levels. Is that what you mean? Ross Perot had good level, didn't he? No, I'm saying as viable as at least, as that, at yeah. least Nader's level, not necessarily. Yeah, so Ross somewhere Perot. in between there. Affects the outcome. Yeah. Okay. Can I go first? Yes. I do not think there will be a third party that will affect the outcome because the Republican Party is libertarian enough. And the Democrat Party is uh, left either uh, environmentally so or socially so, um, socially so that uh, I don't think there will be a viable third. I don't think people are going to throw away their their vote, although I might. That's biased, throw away. Uh, Although I might. So that's my taking back from the bias. Um, I think this is what's going to happen. It's not, but this is what I think is going to happen is that. Biden's going to be like, Biden's going to be out of the race and 
nobody will tell him. Like the family will say <laughs> he has suspended his campaign and he'll just keep going on campaigning and won't realize that he, he has dropped out. And then uh, Mayor Pete um, is going to do the right thing and he's going to say, I'm, a, I'm a moderate now. and I'm going to throw my support to Amy Klobuchar and the moderates are going to gain enough momentum. There will be a Klobuchar charge. Yep, a Klobuchar charge. And then in Milwaukee, uh, Bernie is going to have another heart attack, and then Klobuchar will be the uh, Democratic nominee. Like this heart is, attack, like die or heart attack, just enough just to people worry about his health? Just enough a heart attack. They're like, mm, maybe not, maybe not. Related to that, are you going to go, either of you, we go downtown when the convention's here just to kind of see what's happened, or are you planning to stay away? I don't like crowds. <laughs> you know, I, didn't, I haven't thought about that. That, that would be maybe an interesting experience. It could be cool to get the vibe. I know when the Super Bowl was in Detroit, I kind of went down and just yeah. saw where people were hanging out, what they were doing. Yeah, I don't I don't know, maybe. <laughs> Unless it gets so. violent or something. Sometimes the like conventions and whatever side get if it If it gets wild and they start, mm-hmm. like, we don't know w- what's going to happen, yeah. and then maybe we should go down there. And, it won't be Chicago in 68. Yeah, though, it won't so. be that uh-huh. bad. But if it's, like, bro- brokered, that'd be kind of... And we, could, we, should, we should pick it. We should go down there and pick it. We'll keep... Like some absurd kind of Stance. cause that yeah. we have, and just you and me walking around with our with our signs. We could just hold signs that say "Let the bird fly!" Exclamation point. <laughs> <laughs> you gonna Airbnb your houses? No, no, you no. make big money. I no. thought about it because no. of the money, but yeah, no, no. it's. They're gonna keep the bars open until four a.m. Possibly now. Democrats, but there's a wild. The city was requesting to get no. permission to keep them open until four. Well, you got to make some money to pay for all the uh, all the uh, uh-huh. police. Uh, extra police yeah. that they're going to have to put forward. So, uh, yeah. Paul, I'll give you the choice. You want to go next or last? Next? For for what? For, for the, your prediction. Who do you think will be the nominees? Will the third parties do anything? I'm absolutely clueless when it comes to who the Democratic nominee will be. So, it's right now it seems really up in the air. So. You think Republican will be Trump? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. it's got to be. I don't know if they... I'm not excited about it. Yeah. But. It's too late <clears throat> in the game to... Third party? Will third party make a difference this time? No, I think what Mike said is, is, is right. I don't think there's enough support for a third candidate for that. Like in the last one, I can't remember the guy's name anymore, but he was the Mormon um, and seemed to have a really good kind of plan in, in, in place. Um, but what, 2% of the vote, something like that. Uh, I'm going to say, so this is, I've thought about this and it's probably going to be completely wrong. I will say, uh, obviously, Trump is the Republican nominee. I think brokered convention and Bloomberg comes out. Um, I think that it's going to be hard for to stop Bernie doing well enough to be the guy who maybe doesn't have enough delegates but is the presumptive nominee. Um, But I think there will be enough moderates late in the game who – that it will be somewhat brokered. I think Bloomberg will do well enough to make an argument that he is the moderate choice. Um, I just think with Super Tuesday and that, with him throwing the money and the advertising, it's going to be hard for Peter Klobuchar to to keep up. And I, did, I think there will be two viable third parties, so a third and the fourth. Um, if Bernie does not get the Democratic nomination, I think you'll All see right. some sort of progressive third-party candidate. And I think you will see a libertarian candidate do better than in the past if they nominate someone who's not kind of their typical off-the-wall 
if they actually nominate someone with chops. Um, and so uh, I I could see two third-party candidates who maybe take like 5% each, and it'd be interesting to see. I think the better the issue will be which one of those is more solid, who they take more votes from. Um, as far as uh, the other possibility, I would say would be uh, an Amy Pete ticket coming out of it. I couldn't tell you which one would be on the the top of it, but I gotta think that Klobuchar would be, but maybe I'm I'm wrong. Yeah, you guys seem much more sanguine about the number of moderate Democrats than I would be. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Well, they, I, th- I think they, I think know, it's not just the number the of moderate Democrats. I think it's there's a fear, even among some who might lean more progressive, that they can't win without I'm, a moderate. I'm just thinking if you put Bloomberg, Buttigieg, and Klobuchar their numbers together, that it's enough to beat Bernie. Well, I think there's people who might even support Bernie, but who think that um, someone that far left can't win the general election. And I think they're, I think, I mean, you even hear it in the debates, the key concern is to beat Trump. And so I think there will be a case, and you hear like a a James Carville has been beating this Trump for a while now, um, of you're going to need a moderate to, to do that. Especially if if they are hoping to draw independence, I. That's the interesting thing to me is with both parties, <clears throat> having kind of, moved, um, out from the center, is where the independents are going to go. And and Buttigieg and Klobuchar are both Midwest people, mm-hmm. and those are the states that that may be, that were the difference last time. Yeah. So. so I'm the oldest guy here, and that's why I'm saying I never thought that I would be nostalgic about Bobby Kennedy, but <laughs> this conversation makes me feel that way. Well, I joke about like why you know liberal arts and philosophy are important, and why we have to think clearly and say, you know, I mean, if we don't think clearly, this nation, our only choices for the most powerful person in the world would be a socialist and a re- reality TV star. Now that would be crazy. That would never <laughs> happen, right? <laughs> But that could actually be the case. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, I think enough people are going to say, Bernie, you can't pay for all of this. Like, you literally are not going to be able to do this, right? And go, what's the difference between... But I see, I just think if, it, if you're going to have... I think we already saw in 2016, you have a significant amount of people who will be voting against someone more than voting for someone. Sure. And I also think that things get log jammed, whether... Trump or Sanders are are in the Oval Office where right. you have somebody who's actually a politician and actually maybe just a little bit on a tiny little right. bit can work across the aisle. Yeah, no, I, I think long term the Democrats keep the House and the Republicans keep the Senate. I mean, yeah. I don't see the, a, a route to the Republicans really losing the Senate anytime soon. No, I think we have another decade of infighting and nothing, not much getting done. Yeah. All right. Well, I just, I was curious what people were thinking. I, uh, I think I will go down to see what the vibe is, you know, walk around and see. There should be an interesting vibe here in Milwaukee as it comes up. A, Hopefully and there could be a very angry vibe if it is a brokered convention. That yeah. If it does get down, I, I won't take my children down there, but I'll maybe go down You'll there. go with me? And then we'll just, like, we'll just start rioting on whatever, wherever side we think has, has the most muscle. You well, know? we won't riot. but we'll, well, we'll be a part of it. We'll just kind of be with the crowd. Yeah. And we won't throw punches because we're wusses. No, it would be fun is if there's like crowds are you know debating, and we like try to present ourselves as the the people who are open to switching sides, <laughs> and then we just perpetually switch sides. Like we're I pro- we could probably get hats, you know, like the white right. the white 
brimmed hats with you, the. You guys, Uncle Sam you guys were not in college in the late sixties, early right. seventies. No. I'm pretty sure I'm the only person here who's yeah. been tear gassed, right? Yeah, that's right. This is this is all like this is all kind of cartoonish to us, right? We didn't live through <laughs> yeah, this time. No. This time. Yeah, period. you have yeah. the hindsight of the last time I got this wild. I sure do. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll see what happens. All right. We'll be I'm back. sure there's Vegas betting odds and all this stuff. Oh yeah. <laughs> all right. We'll be back for our main topic. about particularly Colin Woodward's uh, book and his thesis, American Nations, A History of the Eleven Rival Regional Cultures of North America. And uh, I was hoping that I could kind of explain where he's coming from, explain the 11, uh, or mention the 11 uh, nations or regions, and then maybe we'd go one by one and we'll just see where that conversation takes us. Mike, just looking at it, can you, can you guess what I don't like about the region that we've been placed in? That's named Yankee Dumb. Yeah, I don't like that it's named for the Yankees. No. Oh, I thought because it was red. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, it, uh, but I, interestingly <laughs> enough, New York is not in Yankee Dumb. Right. Yeah. Okay. I so. just wish they could come up with a better name for it. Yeah. Well, just stay tuned. All right. So his main thesis is that there are 11 nations. And we got to be careful here. In America, we kind of equate nations with countries and states. When probably more accurately, we should be thinking about nations as something not necessarily always tied to ethnicity, but it's certainly a part of it, but a distinct culture. And that a country or a state is a kind of a legal thing, right? So the United States is purposely not based on kind of these nationalities, or at least we try not to. And so... His idea here is that there are 11 distinct regional nations. They are tied to a region, but they don't flow with uh, state lines. And so <clears throat> these groups of people that are culturally and often eth ethnically and sometimes religiously tied together, they tend to stick together even though they don't know that they're sticking together. And to prove his point, he has used... Uh, in particular, presidential elections throughout the history of the United States, and county to county, um, these people have remained uh, to the same. And so, for for instance, you'll have um, a strip in northern Pennsylvania that um, votes differently than central Pennsylvania, and votes differently than southern Pennsylvania. And so. And I, I think political people know this, too, that it's not really about red state or blue state, except when it comes to the Electoral College, of course, but rather it's a county-to-county -county thing. And so you can draw this map. So um, we, you can Google the map, listeners, uh, about the, the 11 American nations, Colin Wooden. You can see what we're talking about, and I, I do have one that uh, will be put up on the, on the website uh, as well with our title of our episode. Um, but it looks a lot different than the state lines, right? And so these 11 rival Americas are 
nations of America politically will align each other, whether they know it or not, for a typical candidate. And so in one particular uh, maybe election, there is one nation that switches side, and that is enough to sway the election between a Republican or a Democrat. And, and not only that, but throughout there, there's, you know, we can think about Southern uh, people uh, once being wholly in the camp of Democrats, but now wholly in the camp of Republicans as much as you can be. And he does trace that out in both of his books, uh, in particular, uh, American Character, the second book that he that uh, we're discussing. Today. Can I ask a stupid question, yep. Mike? Can you somewhat hit on it already? But So these are 11 nations of America. It looks like from the map, North America, not simply the United States yeah. of America. Yeah. So I mean, it goes into Canada. It goes into Canada and northern Mexico. Yes. So it's he does sometimes talk about North America, but that's not exactly fair because he doesn't talk about southern Think Mexico City and South, really Monterey and South probably in Mexico, and then uh, the Caribbean uh, has some history in this, but and then uh, Central America would not be a part of this. So it's really the United States, but it bleeds into Canada, and there is um, uh, one nation that probably he puts exclusively in Canada. We'll talk about that in a second, but I think you can actually make a case that Native Americans would belong into this as well. It's called First Nation. And then New France is mostly in Canada, but you have a, a bit of that in uh, the New Orleans area. So why don't I just list these 11 right now and then give like a brief sentence and then we'll start at the beginning and, and see where the conversation goes. And so Yankeedom <clears throat> um, would be New England, not New York, New England, a strip of north of Pennsylvania and Ohio along Lake Erie, all of Michigan, all of Wisconsin, all of Minnesota, and maybe an edge around Minnesota and northern Illinois and southern. And so this is, uh, he calls it uh, Yankeedom. It is, uh, think, uh, th uh, Calvinist roots to a certain extent. Um, think mm -hmm. think um, town hall meetings. Think very much about education. Um, what is good for the society with allowing certain freedoms. Um, I'm just going to not necessarily go in chronological. Just, just, go uh, ahead. Not New York City, not but New York State. New York State, yes. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, ex yeah excuse me. Uh, New England, but then upstate New York and and um, the, the island uh, farther away from the eastern part of Long Island. So New York City proper and going into New Jersey kind of a, around there, what he calls New Netherland, and so founded by the Dutch very much about economic trade, liber personal liberty in the sense that you are going to have uh, the ability to be a free thinker, right? But uh, not necessarily always great when it came to should we enslave other people, right? <laughs> economic concerns and individual personal liberty of a conscience was a little bit more important. I'm going to skip down to Tidewater, which is your um, <clears throat> southern Delaware, southern Maryland, the eastern part of North Carolina and Virginia. Here you should think about country gentlemen from from England who come over. These are the people who own estates. They really do believe that they have the duty as wealthy, educated people to do good for 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 those who are uh, of, a, of a lesser advantage. And so this is George Washington and Thomas Jefferson, and it does help explain why how could they be, how could they hold slaves? 
Um, and, and part of that history is, well, I'm a country gentleman who owns this property. I have been given this, um, and there comes with that responsibility. This would be something that would be in contrast to the deep South, which he says is much more of a far libertarian view of that, where it's my right that I own this land and I can do what I kind of want with it. And so a little bit more over the top, less genteel than Tidewater, which I talked about before. So this is deep South coming from the slave trade, um, you know, through the Caribbean plantations. This is economically viable for us to come and start plantations on the continent that they wouldn't have thought about it that way. The Midlands is an interesting one. This think Philadelphia, think Quakers, think Southern uh, New Jersey, along central Ohio, northern Indiana, a strip south of Chicago and Illinois, most of Iowa, northern Missouri, into Kansas, Nebraska, the Dakotas, but not all of it, uh, even into Oklahoma, and then also Ontario. And so these uh, tends to be, a lot of, a lot of German people um, tended to be not necessarily apathetic, but not too worked up about politics. Um, and, and they end up becoming kind of the swing counties in a lot of, 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 um, of elections. Um, keep going. I'll go through them all, and then we'll, we'll circle back. New France would be um, Newfoundland up in uh, probably, I think that would inc incorporate Quebec and uh, Montreal. But then this one's displaced a little bit because then, of course, you have a French culture that is in southern Louisiana with, with New Orleans. Greater Appalachia, think uh, from Scotland, the highlands of Scotland, um, mass immigration. So you kind of already know what Appalachia is, right? So we're talking the uh, western part of the Carolinas. Although he uh, takes this looking at the map way further west yep, yep, than I would picture yeah. it, yeah. West Virginia, uh, southwest Pennsylvania, southern Ohio, southern Indiana, southern Illinois, southern Missouri, uh, parts of Arkansas into Oklahoma and Texas. Uh, the Deep South actually gets into Arkansas and, and, and parts of Texas, East Texas too. So Texas is kind of split up. But this is kind of the heroic America, Davy Crockett kind of rugged individualism kind of thing. People that are very weary politically early on of those Tidewater people you know, you had, to, you had to own like 100 acres to get a vote, right? And the Hill people aren't getting, uh, aren't being uh, representative. So Appalachia sort of explains itself, but into all the way into Texas too. But Kentucky, Tennessee, um, northern Georgia, northern Alabama, the rest would be deep south. Um, <clears throat> El Norte is, would be northern Mexico, uh, southern California. Southern California, parts of it up to like Los Angeles, probably up, up past Santa Barbara, maybe even to Monterey. Southern New Mexico, um, or I should say parts of New Mexico, Southern Arizona, and El Paso down to the Rio Grande, to Corpus Christi in Texas. So this is definitely a, uh, um, a Mexican and uh, uh, culture. Um, think of more independent... Mexicans in their history, right? So the northern Mexico had a history of kind of being a little bit more individual and 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 more uh, not rugged individualism, but you know what I'm at. And, and there was times in, in Mexico's history where people in the north were resentful of 
the the federal government in Mexico City, and and there's a different culture in that in that part of the of the country. The far west would be, um, you know, parts of the the western part of the Dakotas and Nebraska and Kansas, uh, parts of Colorado, Utah, Nevada, northern Arizona, central California, Idaho, Montana, the eastern part of Oregon and Washington, up into the uh, to the Canadian Rockies. Um, far West, kind of self-explanatory too. We know what the West is all about. Uh, independent, but not not like Appalachia in the sense that there, there certainly is going to be a lot of government control and subsidies with railroads and all that kind of stuff. You have the far left coast. So this would be Northern California coast and the coasts of Oregon, Washington, and then British Columbia. So Vancouver, think Vancouver, Seattle, Portland, Bay Area. So um, very much a uh, little bit more liberal, late on the stage, um, um, environmentally friendly, all those things that we kind of think about. And then there's First Nation, which would be um, the northern part and eastern part of Canada. And so um, Craig Berube, the coach of the defending Stanley Cup champions, St. Louis Blues, is a First Nation, right? So think of natives. Um, and I think we could probably put a lot of the natives that are in America, uh, Sioux, Apache, stuff like that, maybe would be tied to that a little bit. So uh, obviously something that's a little bit different there. So those, I think I got all 11 of those First Nations that that kind of rival each other, especially politically. And again, Woodard backs this up by looking at county results, county by county results in presidential elections that these ten people tend to stick together, whether they're voting Democrat or Republican or Whig or whatever, that they were able to stick together. So um, I think we can start with Yankee Dumb. And uh, does, Paul, do you have anything to add about Yankee Dumb or uh, uh, Wade? Well, <clears throat> Yankee Dumb, so downtown Milwaukee, on the, just north of downtown, <clears throat> there's Yankee Hill. And so, yeah, I mean, the although the you know Solomon Juno was French, nevertheless, the first big group of settlers were Yankees, and it affected Milwaukee in a number of different ways. What what I found very interesting about his book was he made Milwaukee a bit of an exception, and said you could possibly include it in the Midlands, even though it's not geographically there. And I wonder if that's map. because of the German influx. Because of the German, America. yeah, because of the German influx later on, um, which made sense to me. And because I never thought of myself as a Yankee, for one thing. <clears throat> but also in Wauwatosa right here, you have the big churches that originally were here were the Congregational Church, the Methodist Church, the Baptist Church, and so on. I mean... Wauwatosa, even though when I was growing up, I knew Germans and so on, but it, it was Yankee as well. And then you go to the western part of the state, and the original names for the coolies, those um, valleys, you know, that the farmers settled in, now there's, you know, later on they got settled by all Germans, but the names of them, like Irish coolie and those mm -hmm. kinds, of, they're all Yankee names, because mm -hmm. the Yankees, and it fits... It didn't fit with what I read today, but it fit when I read the book. You know, they would come and settle. They'd make their money, you know, so the land, they, they got first dibs on the land. They'd settle, make their money, sell it to other people, and move on. Mm. And they didn't 
often leave, I mean, you talked about the schools and that sort of thing, that's true. Although in Wisconsin, of course, when the Germans came, German Lutherans came, they had their own schools, and they were, I would say, as conservative as the Yankees could be, the the Germans were much less political. Yeah, and 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 you know when we think about the the public education, especially in Minnesota and Wisconsin, these are some of the finer states, at least in the Midwest, of putting money into public education. That gets that that gets disrupted when you have Catholics and Lutherans coming in second yeah. wave generations who want to maintain their own language in their schools and and so but they're both pro education I, I found it also interesting about um yankeedom at least what what he's saying and this is probably more new england than it is um rural wisconsin and minnesota and michigan is there is freedom individual freedom but we protect individual freedom with institutions so um you know in order to be free, you have to be educated, right? Mm-hmm. So we have no problem pooling our money together and taxing people for higher education. And you can think of, you know, not only the East Coast schools, but how many schools in, you know, Michigan and Minnesota and, and Wisconsin have, have long, long histories, right? We were willing to put money into those, into those institutions, even if they were from public funds, right? So... I think that that's a point that he made in the second book was Yankeedom tends to protect freedom by using institutions such as mm-hmm. if you're going to be free, you need to have an education, that kind of thing. So you got anything to add on Yankeedom? I mean, you could say the same true for maybe an impulse for unions, although economics is going to drive unions, especially in Detroit, but that um, the thought process is not like it is maybe in Appalachia. You're you're forcing me to be in a union that takes away my individual liberty. Right. Where a union says, "I'm giving you this so that you can have economic freedom." Right. Yeah. No, and I, <clears throat> just as I thought, Paul's comments were interesting and appreciated them. I think it's interesting when you have the Germans coming. Uh, something that um, when a Lutheran historical conference was here, I did a paper on. You even look at the Bennett Law, which is you know end of the 19th century, 1890s or so, um, where you have this Yankee concern with all the private schools that the German Catholics and Lutherans are founding um, and that there should be education in English at these schools. I think that's an interesting tension you see between those two groups if, as they've come in. Um, and uh, although at the same time, the, the kind of the ideals that the Germans express in defending themselves probably fit pretty well in Yankeedom too because they're protecting their institutions, right, that they, they see as um, embodying their freedom. And, in the, and, and still there's get, a collectivism yeah. to how one maintains one, one's freedom. I think that makes sense. Yeah. And the other thing that comes out is just why this is, I mean, obviously it's going to be more complex than a map that delineates, sure. delineates these things. So even in Milwaukee, um, maybe not so much in Milwaukee, the city, but partly, you know, a lot of the Germans who came were agrarian. They said they had farms and so on. Those are different Germans than the Turners <laughs> in Milwaukee yep. who came over for political reasons and, you know, all that sort of thing. So you had a divide even there. And the the other thing that's kind of interesting to me, which is, this is a whole different area, though. Um, so looking at Yankeedom, and then in the Wisconsin Synod, of course, Wisconsin, Michigan, Minnesota, mm-hmm. you know, that's our headquarters for the Wisconsin Synod. When, but aside from that, 
I remember my mother saying when I was a little boy, speaking very highly of Pennsylvania, <laughs> which is the Midlands, and there is this Midland kind of, yeah. I don't yeah. know what you'd call it, mystique or something. But. Sure. I, and I think a lot of, I, I was surprised when, you know, I had read this and didn't really look at the map and then looked at the map and said, really, Wisconsin should be in the Midlands, don't you think? Yeah, but, I did too. And I think there's some, we see this tension played out when it comes to school vouchers too. Um, one argument is you can't, you can't take this money and then have these other people try to indoctrinate our children with, uh, with, their, with their religion. Um, at the same time, there's an impulse that education is so important and good that we you know, want it for everybody and, and this is a way that it can be, be taken to, to everybody. I mean, does it maybe make sense with that, Mike? Then, and with Paul, as you said, that Wisconsin is an interestingly, not only is Wisconsin now a swing state, but you see these tensions in Wisconsin politics come out all the time, mm-hmm. not just along Republican-Democrat divides, um, but even within the parties, each party in Wisconsin, maybe the Midlands and Yankee Dome, butting up against each other in some of the... Um, uh, the impulses that that you see. I mean, it, it's it, it's coming from Michigan. It's fascinating to me how different Wisconsin politics are from. I mean, Wisconsin was recalling everybody for a while, you know, and, <laughs> um, and maybe that's that somewhat that Midland like you're 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 accountable to the people, but at the same time you do have that drive where people are very attached to UW. You know, um, this is our flagship university. Um, you look at the the buildings, and there's a grand architecture to government buildings in Wisconsin that's very mm. impressive, as well as the I mean the churches. So I mean maybe it is a unique um, kind of a um, you know the plates are kind of meeting. And, and We're the, a swing state. And, yeah. and the Midlands would would have similar impulses, but more resentful of top down stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So um, a question along those lines, and um, Paul, you mentioned that the Wisconsin Senate largely falls in Yankeedom. I would say confessional Lutheranism largely falls between or within Yankeedom and the Midlands, if that's fair to say. And the Midlands, and yeah, and parts well, of Greater Appalachia, maybe. And, and you're thinking Philadelphia, yeah. the the seminaries right. there, and the Lutherans. Right. Yeah. Is there anything to that? Are those more amenable to it, or is that just where immigrant groups settled? Well, I mean, so I don't know everything about where the immigrants settled, but a lot of times they settled in places that reminded them of home. And I don't think it had to do with politics so much, really. Or where land was available. Or if if you were a a dairyman at home, well, you went to Wisconsin, Minnesota. Yeah, in the Midlands, if you notice, uh, northern Missouri, but really northwest Missouri, but then kind of uh, goes down to St. Louis, right? Mm -hmm. And so this is part of the history. Tends to be a little bit more German, which especially Jewish and Lutherans, maybe a little bit more passive when it comes to um, politics, just as long as, you know, not top down, kind of just let us be kind of, kind of thing. Um, but, and yet, um, you know, like authority, we'll obey authority quietly to a certain point kind of thing. Yeah. Com- compared to the percentage of people from German background in the United States or practicing Lutherans, I should say, um, 
we're very much underrepresented in oh, the Senate and in Congress absolutely. because yeah. there's more of this passive attitude. And, and you think of how many Episcopalians and how many Lutherans, and they compare that to how many Episcopalians in the history have been in high power and how many Lutherans, you go, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> it's not even close. But that's part of our, our history, and, and it's part of the theology as well, too. Mike, if we can branch out a little, if I can ask you guys sure. a question, because since you've read the book, um, what is he trying to accomplish with this just better understanding of the country or is he making an argument of um that this is uh this is basically how elections break down so just to understand it historically um what is what is his what's his impetus here sure in his first book it's more um he's just saying this is what it is you know it's it's a study of that and he's very nonpartisan as much as he as one can be throughout both both the books he's written written other books of course but his second book american character his point is this that there's two impulses one is a, a collectivism and one is a a personal liberty and both end up in tyranny and so he takes the basis of these of of these 11 nations and then goes through the history of America and says, this is where the impulses that were more libertarian or more individual freedom, perhaps from Appalachia or wherever, the, the, not only did the politics, but the culture swung so much this way that the, the elections went this way, and therefore these were the economic results of that. So the Gilded Age, he's very critical of the Gilded Age, and he says, this is why, because you have these, you had, you had certain, certain nations ally together um, in, a, in a particular election for whatever reason. And then the result was economic this or whatever. And, and so he's weary of both uh, hyper collectivism and hyper individualism through the lens of economics. He's not, he doesn't get into personal rights as much. So he does definitely have going forward, we should be weary of going too far to the other direction. And then he helps explain this by his theory of the 11 rival nations. Okay. So uh, the next one probably on the list is New Netherlands. So think New York City, northern New Jersey. Um, so built really economic for, on, for economic reasons, right? Um, uh, the, the history of the Dutch coming in there, and it's a, it's a company really, but resentful of authority definitely you know and this is the history of the dutch too right uh much more free thinkers uh religious tolerance uh in the continent at certain certain times at least more than than their other na surrounding nations but ironically new york doesn't is is one of the last northern um groups of people to condemn the south for slavery and 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 is on the south side politically until the first shots are fired, right? And so he helps explain that, whether right or wrong, by saying this, these are economic, they, they think economically, they think about, they're not thinking necessarily the higher good as much as maybe Yankeedom was. Yankeedom's probably a little bit more idealistic than maybe New York City, and I'm guessing everybody in upstate New York would say that <laughs> about, their, about their city brethren. Well, honey, Yankeedom is the city sit on a hill, you know, mm -hmm. so they can't get away from that. Yeah. So um, interesting, uh, and it kind of makes sense. This is has always been the economic capital, right, mm -hmm. um, even from the beginning. 
Um, maybe we could take Tidewater next because this is still kind of revolutionary. We're still in that kind of early, early uh, America history. So uh, landed gentry, you know, uh, that, that idea of we own land, we know better than these other classes, and we kind of owe it to these lower classes, less educated people to protect them economically and maybe even physically. Um, and so you, these are landowners from England, perhaps, that are coming over here and becoming landers. Where, where in New York City, you could rise through the ranks if you worked hard enough and made the right economic decisions. Where in the Tidewater, it is, what's your last name? Where's your family from? So this is, this is what I think. And I, I equate this with the Deep South, and I shouldn't, at least according to Woodward. But I would imagine, think early Episcopalians, Revolutionary War very, very leery of, of the revolution, right? Um, which makes sense because they understand the protection of the king and stuff like that. And, they, and maybe they weren't suffering as much um, under, under King George as, as others. And yet at the same time, where do the leaders of the revolution, especially in the military, come from? Well, from Virginia and places like that. So I don't know if you want to add something to Tidewater. You no, know, it's just to make it, for some people, this would help them understand what Tidewater is all about. And at one point he says it's Downton Abbey in the United States. <laughs> and you know that helps us understand a little bit. And yeah, I, it, because it's interesting with the leaders both on the north side, and, both on the north and the south, you know, Lee mm -hmm. is from Tidewater. Sure. So yeah. These, these are the educated. Huh, that is an interesting point, yeah. Highly educated, trained militarily as yep. officers kind of thing. I really think those early Episcopalian churches of like Virginia, this is what I imagine when I, when I think about these. Um, and you can imagine Appalachia and the Deep South becoming <coughs> resentful of them. And politically, Tidewater becomes smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and mm -hmm. smaller um, as each election kind of, kind of takes over. If so, you've ever heard somebody from Tidewater speak, it's one of the most pleasant accents yes. in America. Virginia is for lovers. This is this is Tidewater. This is modern <laughs> Tidewater. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a southern accent with a whole lot of class. I had, I had a classmate when I was in, in college in a German class, actually, who was from North Carolina, and he would talk. And I I wanted to. You, you can't say it to a person. Mm -hmm. but I wanted to say, oh, just keep on talking. <laughs> <laughs> I like to hear this. So the Deep South would be. Um, this kind of idea, but maybe without the less morals. <laughs> um, so much more libertarian and much more of this is my plantation. I don't see my workers and in the early American history, my slaves as some people that I need to protect and love. You know, that, that, that sounds foreign to us in America to, to begin with, but these are people of a lesser class that they work for me. And so the Tidewater gentlemen and gentle ladies would be maybe engaged for the betterment of society more so than the Deep South plantation owners, who at least in Woodard's, uh, Woodward's, uh, Woodard's um, estimation are really about themselves economically and living a high life on the on the backs of others. And maybe one point, and I'll let you talk. Uh, you know what's <coughs> missing on all of this is, of course, uh, African Americans coming in, um, and, but. When you think about it, they are deep south, and some of the languages that uh, the people that come into uh, the deep south through slavery and then migrate north, 
you can tell by the way they cook and the think of whatever there's an influence there right and so one of the a tragedy upon tragedy that african americans of course have their their own culture but it's always within one of these other cultures right so it was in deep south or now it is you know within uh, yankee dumb or something like that so we, we don't want to be remiss we would be remiss if we didn't mention that so deep south yeah i think the maybe the best of the slave owners on the plantations as opposed to the way it was handled in tidewater like we're you know going to you know we care about them because they belong to us and that sort of thing but it was like well they're happy that way mm-hmm. i think they convinced themselves that this yeah. is what these people were made for and so you know we can just continue doing this because they're happy and it was interesting what you said too about um how that affected african americans eventually because First of all, with religion, um, they ended up, you know, by and large, uh, were more Baptist than mm-hmm. anything else because that's what their slave owners mm-hmm. were in, in some way or another. Um, what I, I just read the autobiography of Miss Jane Pittman and um, A Lesson Before Dying by Ernest Gaines. And what's interesting there is your... I don't mean to move us to New France mm-hmm, yet, mm-hmm. but you have um, African Americans in that area, and there's always which ones are Catholic and which ones mm-hmm, aren't, mm-hmm. because that was you know the uh, environment in which they grew up. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and 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 we make the mistake again. One of the things uh, this author is trying to say is it's not really blue state versus red state, but it's it's more complicated than that. Nor is it just north and south. And so when we think about the south. You do have this French influence in New France that really you, you could you could draw uh, up the Mississippi too, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, St. Right. Louis, Memphis, um, up those rivers, maybe even off a little bit, even to, to Louisville, off of I think the Ohio River is the one that goes, I think, by Louisville and the Dempsey in the Mississippi. Yeah. yeah. Um, that there's that influence through riverboat stuff too, and so we all know that there's a there's a there's a French influence, a Catholic influence. Uh, and maybe even a Caribbean influence a little bit too in, in by the food, the language, everything when it comes to Southern Louisiana and then it's uh, Northern, Northern uh, brothers and sisters in, in like Montreal and Quebec and stuff like that. And we should be, we, and a big point that, that the author makes too is Appalachia is different than the deep South as much as Tidewater is different than the deep South Episcopalian versus Baptist, although that's not always super accurate. Uh, landed gentry, you know, gentlemen versus more plantation, uh, basing things off of race. This is the KKK does not come out of Appalachia. It comes out of the deep South, that, that white supremacy as people convince themselves, not only philosophically, but also in a, in a horrid attempt religiously <laughs> to convince themselves yeah. that slavery is okay. This is different than Appalachia. So Appalachia are your rugged, uh, you know, Highlanders and stuff like this. And Wade, you, you've mentioned many times that, uh, there, there are parts in the history of America where, uh, the, the working white poor are pitted against the working black poor. This mm-hmm. app, you're talking Appalachia here, right? Yeah. And so, uh, Appalachians can, can be taken, um, by a deep South kind of idea, but they can also maybe align themselves with the Midlands in the North. Um, and, uh, it depends on, on where they want. So, um, are they as much racist as the rest of us? Yes. We're all sinners and we all think that way, but it's different than the deep South. 
and there can be times when they would maybe align with other minority other poor people that consider themselves not being representative well enough in culture and politics. Well, and I think we and see these that. are your people. This is North Arkansas, man. Yeah, we. Uh, well, that's where the Johnsons come from. Um, I mean, I think we see this in 2020 with, in many ways, um, a hardcore Bernie supporter isn't always that much different than a hardcore Trump supporter. Um, insofar as what's driving, what their key issues or foci are, and so I think. Um, not that they would agree on everything. I mean, really, you look at like a lot both, of issues. Both Trump populist. and Bernie are not that far apart. They're yeah. both populist <laughs> movements. Yeah. yeah, so I, I think there's probably something to that. Yeah. So Greater Appalachia, you know, West Virginia, Kentucky, uh, the you know. I would I would throw in too. We mentioned um, Milwaukee being Midlands meeting Yankeedom. I would say Detroit is Deep South, Greater Appalachia meeting Yankeedom because you have a lot of. Um, in the Detroit and Metro Detroit area, um, with the Great Migration, and then with yeah. um, with white workers coming from the South for mm-hmm. union work. I mean UAW. Yeah. Um, Be- Belleville is is mini Tennessee. Downriver Detroit is yeah. um, you know Greater Appalachia with some Deep South. I mean mm-hmm. my own grandfather coming from Arkansas. Um, there were plenty you know in the same boat as him who um, these things kind of meet together. So you could have. Um, Working poor who come up, they get these manufacturing jobs, they unionize, yet still have um, the unions were not always very friendly to the black workers, mm-hmm. right? So you, you can have these things um, intertwining a lot. And I would guess similarly with all the, the migration, you know, of the 21st century as well. As people yeah, and it, what's interesting about those Great Lake cities, Milwaukee, Chicago to a lesser extent, but Detroit too, there's a touch of French in there too. I mean, the French are there, you know, you can see French names here and there. Um but then you have the migration. Detroit. Yeah, Detroit. And then you have the great migration, both of white and black people coming to the north, all, to all cities, but in the, in the Midwest in, in particular. And then Milwaukee, of course, with a little bit of socialism dash, dashed in there, too. You bet. You know? yeah. so, but, you know, and we didn't have the Appalachian influence, but the, when you talked about the working poor, both black and white, I mean, the open housing marches in Milwaukee in the 1960s, mm-hmm. that was a big deal because you had the Polish south side. African-Americans settled more on the north side. The Germans moved out and the African-Americans moved in. But, you know, what about working poor blacks actually being, being able to live in a working poor white neighborhood? And, boy, that was resisted like crazy. Right, and that it's part of our, our ugly history for sure. So we talked about uh, uh, Yankeedom, New Netherland, Tidewater, Deep South, New France, Greater Appalachia. Let's do the Midlands, which is an interesting one. Um, again, like a, it's a very thin strip. Think Philadelphia going straight into Iowa, then kind of down a little bit into parts of Missouri, um, Kansas, Oklahoma, and the tip of Texas. But then I found interesting, like the strip that would go north, Nebraska, but then north into parts of North and South Dakota, then wrap around into on Southern Ontario. Um, think beginning with Quakers, um, you know, so there's a certain amount of freedom there, but um, uh, resentful of top-down kind of stuff, and yet passive in a lot of different ways. Um, it's kind of interesting. This, to me, seems to be the most unknown to me, even though I, I feel almost the most akin to this. 
It seems it like seems the Midlands to the most have the least riots historically. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> Although this St. True. Louis has been trying to turn trying that to around, that, yeah. but uh, um, I would historically, it almost seems like Yankee Dome is going to riot the most, huh? But they don't, though. I don't think. Well, don't Detroit think so. had famous riots. Milwaukee this is did. True. But that was. Oh, I see. Later on in, in the sixties, yeah. yeah, that's yeah. probably more everywhere. But well, the well, Midlands it depends is... what you call, call call a riot. You know, I mean, if you're going to call like a bunch of people lynching somebody in the South, then I think we. No, could, I'm thinking like I mean? sixty-eight Detroit, or like Paul was talking about yeah. with the, the housing stuff here. Yeah. Because things came to a head because you have greater Appalachia and the Deep South moving in there and then the sense. racial tensions. Yeah, yeah. And, and then that's different than the riots on, you know, Berkeley and, and some of those right. campuses. Yeah. So do you have anything about the Midlands? We've kind of talked about the Midlands. This one, again, I feel the, probably the most akin to, and yet it's hard. It's the hardest for me to what describe. What do you feel most akin to, Paul, out of curiosity? Midlands. Uh, part of that is because the Laningers... When my father, grand, grandfather came over from Germany in 1893, he served congregations in eastern Nebraska and married someone who was the daughter of immigrants who came over from Germany and settled in Nebraska. They weren't, that, they weren't involved in the big music controversy or whatever, were they? That wasn't the, the down in Norfolk, the uh, people who left Wisconsin because of the instruments you could play or whatever? No, they were, this was more southeast okay. in Nebraska. Um, and my father always referred, would refer to Midlands type people as salt of the earth people. Huh. Yeah. You know, they're just they're 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 quiet. They're you know want to have peace, that kind of stuff. Pluralistic and organized around the middle class. This is yep. a quote from from Woodard's probably. Um, you know, both Yankee and Midlands have a connection though because they both are kind of utopian projects. So Yan uh. Yankee would be. Uh, America Zion on the Hill a little bit kind of thing. We can do this better than 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 our um, ancestors. But then Midlands does have that history of William Penn and the Quakers, right? So, and the <laughs> Mennonites. It's interesting you yeah. mentioned the middle class because uh, I had relatives who actually were probably upper middle class at least. But oh no, we're middle class. I mean, you, <laughs> yeah, that's, sure. that's what you got to be. Yeah, yeah, uh, egalitarian, very yeah, egalitarian. Yeah. In the I gotta Midlands. say, I think I'm Yankee. I'm yeah, through. I think I could see that with a little, with just a not small dash of Appalachia. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you you think Yankee dumb, you dress Appalachian. <laughs> All right. So um, El Norte, um, I don't know. You probably can speak to this more than um, uh, Albuquerque us. comes to mind. Yeah. Well, El Norte, you, you, like this the, would be Yuma. I mean, this is uh, you live yeah. this, and so there is a distinct cowboy is not the right, but but a a definitely a Mexican feel to what's going on here. So Southern California, Southern Arizona, uh, Rio Grande, El Paso, kind of Texas up through the, through the elevation in New Mexico, Albuquerque and into Southern Colorado. So I'll let you talk on that. Well, you get a feel for it when you live there. Um, but it's interesting too, with all these migrations that go on. So Yuma, I'll use Yuma as an example. Um, be, with the, Colorado River and the irrigation along the Colorado River and the orange, well, not orange groves, but lemon and grapefruit groves and that sort of thing, that kind of agriculture. Yuma had an interesting combination of Mexican culture in part of it, but Yuma was really a very white city overall, mm -hmm. I would say, very Anglo city. 
um, with some Deep South influence because, you know, you just draw a line from the sure. Deep South over and there you are. Um, and the, it, there was a little difference in how women were expected to act, I guess. Hmm. Um, in, in the North, in Yankeedom, in Wisconsin and so on, you know, you could be a little bit, women could be a little bit more independent and they didn't have to say, why shucks, I'm just some little flower, <laughs> you know. It was, but that, I remember we, there were um, the girls' basketball team from the high school uh, was staying in my parsonage when I was there. And all night long, the hair dryers never stopped. <laughs> it's just, I mean, the most important thing was the makeup and the hair. and the. Don't all. you know you're playing basketball tomorrow? <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah. Well, maybe it was the cheerleaders. I don't know. But um, there, there was this Southern Belle kind of attitude among some of the people, which was, you know, I thought, well, That's here interesting. I, yeah, here I am in El, El Norte. Um, and I was expecting the congregation I served. I thought, well, I know Portuguese. I'll probably have to learn Spanish better mm-hmm. so that I can preach. And not a single Hispanic member. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So there were, there were a few from Hispanic backgrounds, but mm-hmm. long ago. But, but otherwise, I think... There is a cultural similarity in the areas that he's calling El, El Norte, yeah. and it does go up into southern Colorado, too. And these are these are areas, it, we tend to think, you know, foolishly, like, well, America was white, and then Hispanic people came in. No, <laughs> no. it's obviously the other way around, and you are going to see that in the far west, especially um, along what we now know as the Mexican-United uh, States border. There's a deep-seated culture there, and that it's probably more Anglicans becoming that culture than maybe the other way. And that Northern Mexico culture is different. You mean Anglos or Anglicans? Anglos, excuse me. And um, the Northern... Although Anglicans are often <laughs> Anglos. Northern sta- the Northern states of, of, of Mexico maybe are more akin to Southern Arizona than they are with their own countrymen down in, in, in Mexico City. And the Southern border, of course, is quite young you know i mean this is we kind of forget that a little bit the gadsden strip and all that kind of stuff so well and yeah i mean so the in in yuma you have sonoran mexican food okay and state of sonora in, in in northern mexico the other thing with arizona that's kind of interesting is if i were a native american living in arizona i would be a little bit resentful that First Nations doesn't come down well, there right. a little bit more. Yeah. We kind of mentioned that the First Nations he puts up in, in Canada, which First Nation is a Canadian way of, of, of talking about this. Um, we think of Native Americans, which is, of course, unfair, too, as if they were all the same, right? But, yeah. but First Nation would definitely in northern Arizona, but mm-hmm. you could also say that strip of South Dakota, North Dakota, Nebraska would also probably, you could say, there, there's quite a few reservations there too, that there's a yeah. distinct culture there. Bury uh, my heart, co- wounded yeah, knee, yeah. Yeah, nation. So, so what do you think the difference is between El Norte and Far West, though? Um, you know, the Far West, I think maybe go go West, young man, more so than this is a this is a culture of its own. El Norte that has been that centuries and centuries old. The Far West is much more of a, you know. Go west, young man, kind of thing. So I don't, I don't know if you have any insight on the difference between El well, Norte I think people and who west. you know actually did that, who you know went to the far west, in a sense, had to reinvent themselves. Mm-hmm. Don't you, is that fair? Yeah, I think there's a, there is a, well, it's wild, wild west, right? Mm-hmm. You can't 
you can make yourself your own and, and definitely ruggedly independent, but not so much like greater Appalachia with a, with a resentfulness necessarily, although that may be change a resentfulness against Tidewater and, and those things. I'm going West start over. I don't have the Eastern people look breathing down my neck kind of thing. And that maybe explains why the far West conservative there is willing to say, it's more like Yankee dumb. We're willing to pull our money together and use the government for damming up rivers, railroads, mm -hmm. things that we cannot do on our right. own, even though they may be sparse compared to the East. Yeah. There's that, the, the dichotomy there, isn't yeah. there? Yeah. yeah. We rely on the government, but we don't want them to be, be calling shots. For sure. Us. Sure. Uh, true. The Midlands as well, a little bit. So we, we got uh, maybe just one left and we're running out of time here. And that would be the left coast. The last one to come onto the scene. Um, and so this would probably, if you're in, you're in, you know, 1850, this would have been far West. Um, but there's its own culture with Northern California. I think going up into Portland, Seattle and Vancouver, which does tend to be more liberal in the sense that, uh, well, this is more atheist in a, in a lot of different ways, more environmentally friendly and all those kinds of things. So, um, the left coast, Wade, what do you got about the left coast? What do you got to add there? <laughs> I, uh, I pulled up a map that shows, um, like Republican Democrat breakdown for how the elections have gone in these regions. And they assign a flag to each. I'm somewhat offended that the Yankeedom flag has New England Patriots on it, Boston Red Sox, Harvard Seal. Um, to give you a sense for this map maker's view of the left coast, the flag for the left coast is a rainbow peace sign with a marijuana leaf over it. <laughs> <laughs> I did say that. I didn't look at So someone had taken these political maps, not necessarily from Woodard, but yeah. Yeah. I so. would say, I mean, my impression just from the, the time I've been out west um, on the coast would be that I do see it as a, a mix of um, uh, like Detroit-type Yankeedom with El Norte mm -hmm. with uh, when it comes to some social issues like legalizing stuff, probably some greater Appalachia individualism <laughs> in there. It, yeah. I mean, there's a there's definitely a respect for institutions in the sense of Look at the California University system and um, mm. the idea of um, uh, people tend to vote with a reliance on government solving problems. Um, but then there's this odd mix of individualism. We'll throw tech, throw big tech in there. Which, yeah, I mean, which is you know libertarian kind of utopian mm. type stuff. So um, I think that's the hardest one. As I listen to you guys and I look at the maps, it's the hardest one to nail down too. Because I think historically you look at a um, a Washington and Oregon, even on the West Coast, I, I wonder how much of them being lumped together is from Californians moving north or from people moving yeah. out there than historically what those two states have been. And I think the left coast, and you probably even could drop it down to L.A. too, is this is everybody else coming out there, not only right. in the 1800s, but really in the 40s and the 50s a lot of people like my my mother's side of the family moved when she was two from wisconsin to los angeles i had relatives and, on my mother's side of the family who did that too. And, and on my father's side of the family too to P pomona and so but the left coast then creates its own culture 
out of that, right? And so because it's the last, I, I think that's why it's the hardest maybe for you to, to define. And I think probably for, for us too, it's, it is a mixture of all of them. If you wanted to guess on the map, I'm looking at which of the ones is the, uh, the reddest as far as a red for Republican and blue for Democrat. Well, I'd guess Deep South. Oh, for Republican, red, yeah. I would think Deep South would be. Yeah, from as I as I look at it, it actually like, looks like greater Appalachia almost. It could be. Oh, that yeah. could be, yeah. 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 So, you know, this is, you can make of this what you want, but, you know, when the pioneers would come over the Rockies and so on, they would bring things like their big pianos from the east, mm-hmm. and, and all this stuff got left behind on the Oregon Trail and the California Trail and all that sort of thing. My father always said, that too many people, when they crossed the Rockies later, left their faith behind. Yep, yep. I always heard that once you, when you, and, and for the Appalachian Mountains early on, that's why we had to have a couple great awakenings. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> like once you go over a mountain, you leave your faith on the, on the, on the, on the side that you came. Yeah. So we're just about out of time. So I'll give a last word, Wade. You got anything to add? Last no, word? I appreciate it. I thought you guys did a good job explaining it. I thought it was interesting. Um, I mean, this Patriots flag is going to really bother me. <laughs> Patriots and Bruins. But no, I think it makes sense. And I think the, the, the most interesting thing to me was with the amount of migration we've had in the United States to see a Milwaukee or a Detroit or other places where you have these kind of competing visions mm-hmm. within the individual I places. I suppose in themselves. most cities that you're going to have that too. Yeah, you're going to have people that have moved. Last word from you, Paul. Anything you want to add? No, I just think of Green Bay. Since we might as well mention the Packers while you're mentioning yeah. everybody else, with the interesting mix of French mm-hmm. along with Native American and then Yankees. That's, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I, this has been helpful. It's more than interesting. I think it's been helpful. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, no book that you read is going to be, oh, that's the best thing that ever happened to me, except the Bible, Wade, um, and maybe the Book of Concord. And the Book of Concord. Yeah. Um, so you take everything with a grain of salt, but um, I, I think it was very helpful to to think about these things. And yeah. it's more nuanced. And it's it's a, it's certainly not just North and South, and it's certainly not Red State, Blue State. It is it is it's 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 more. It's more, and and it does help explain a lot of things. So um, take it for what it's worth, dear listener. And if you want to buy those books, I think you would find them interesting, easy reads, nothing too partisan, and nothing too complicated. Or get them from your library in a Yankee spirit of supporting there you go. that's right wonderful take so, the bus to the library yep yeah and you can do whatever you want but as long as you let the bird fly every evening when the sun goes down get with my party and I begin to cry I don't care what the people are thinking I'm not drunk I'm just a drink I say I'm up another round I say I'm up Another round, I'll set him up. Another round, one more round won't get me down.